Glass Tire presents number nine with David McGee. Welcome to the podcast. The name of the show is Number Nine, and I'm your host, David McGee. When I was growing up in Detroit, I had three passions hockey, baseball, and comic books. Now, during that time in my life, if you were not a Marvel fan, you were in serious trouble. But the latter took a serious hit when I discovered Bruce Lee and was almost diminished when I discovered a different kind of hero exhibited in the films of Melvin Van Peebles and Gordon Parks, films like Superfly, Sweetback, Badass Song, and Coffee, illustrated the kind of people I actually saw in the streets of Eastside Detroit. And now I'm reminded of something that the great American writer James Baldwin once said. He called this fantasy revenge. Now, this term is often debated and as you will hear in this episode, is debated even still. But I thought it opened up a beautiful segue into today's episode, which we will be discussing the phenomenal hit, The Black Panther. Now, everything has been probably said about this film in tons of ink, excuse or pardon the pun about this film. But I wanted to ask two friends of mine their take on the film. One, Stanford Carpenter, cultural anthropologist out of Chicago and a comic book artist in his own right. The other, Felicia Johnson, poet and writer. And an additional sidebar, my friend Chris Becker, who is also the engineer of this very program, to talk about how they feel about the cultural significance of this thing, that this wave just hit the country. So I started off by asking Stanford, his take and what did he feel people were getting from the film? I think they're reacting, I think they're reacting to multiple things. Um, the character itself, um, one thing I think is interesting about the Black Panther is that if you look at the way the characters were really originally created, he was basically, you know, Sidney Poitier with a mask on, right? Mm-hmm. He was, you know, it's like, it's like he was... He was all about respectability politics. He was all about nobility, right? And then in future iterations, you know, especially under the like under the Christopher Priest run, he kind of undergoes a shift to being to be to being much more much more unapologetically black, um, you know, um, m- you know, more more crafty, left, you know, you mm-hmm. know. Um, I want to say less diplomatic, but that's not quite the term. Um, in other words, he, he's actually becomes becomes. A, we see him act as a better as a better monarch through guile, right? Mm-hmm. And and then you have the introduction. That's that's actually when you first introduced the Dora Milaje, and they get introduced in a scene where he's stepping out of a stretch limo, and he's got two Dora Milaje, one on each arm. And they're wearing really, really short dresses, more you know, dresses similar to the one that um, that um, 
that Okoye wears in the, um, in the scene in South Korea, right? So mm -hmm. it's like, for those people who want to go and see sort of, sort of an image of beautiful black people where they're, where, they're, where they're dignified and respectable, you have that. But you also have, but you also have like this, this sort of, this counter, this, this image is also baked in of just being of just being purely unapologetically black and not caring about about adhering to white beauty standards, it, 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 not caring about adhering to white anything, right? Yeah, and but it's very rare that you get get both of that in the same space. So just in that alone, you 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 brought together two very different audiences, right? Yeah, but let me ask um, let, let me ask you something before because that's an incredible point. I hate to interrupt you, but let me ask you this: there has been a plethora of films featuring African Americans that have had that those aspects. You know. But not necessarily together, like he said. No, yeah, yeah. It's having them together. I'm sorry, Felicia. No, go ahead. No, I I, 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 Felicia was, yeah, I think Felicia was right. I mean, not at the same time, not in the same movie experience, and not in a way in which they're not in conflict with one another. There is no conflict between those two things, which, which what it does, for, and what that means for audience is, you're gonna get is you're you're gonna get you're gonna get the comic book fan to walk in the you know you know you know kids who are more who are who are more into you know who are more into hip hop and 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 you're gonna get the and you're gonna get the um get the churchgoers who would never go who who would never go near hip hop right you know all showing up to the same place at that point you're talking about a massive audience and massive appeal. The churchgoers. Well, you know, in that respect, I believe the churchgoers would be going because it's it's a black movie. It's been hyped up so much, um, and there's this whole, like you said, royal regal aspect of it, where right, you know, where you have, you know, that he's he's a uh, the son of a king who's the son of a king who's the son of a king who has they can trace their lineage back, and they're you know just it's just royalty. Um, you know the I think the success of the movie is based upon not just the it's the timing i I, I think it's totally the timing of it I mean I think so too yeah, everything that's out now i mean the 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 vibe of the moment the zeitgeist of the moment is is about afrofuturism it's about reclaiming you know your your it's about reclaiming your blackness and being proud of it and being you know happy with your hair short long however it's about being strong and it's about being um you know overcoming a lot of things and in a different way than our parents and our grandparents did it well what part of that is also about not being having a place where nobody can invade what what part of this is cuz i heard a lot of audiences talking about you know i love this movie because this was a place where you know there was no white people there was no colonial behavior it was just us yeah but that that especially for african americans given how we ended up here right that is the ultimate fantasy right you know and 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 i think that that yes 
I completely agree with you, Felicia, about about this being a moment where people are reclaiming, where black people are, are trying to reclaim their blackness. Um, but I would add one more thing. Right now, I think that I think that black people are trying to reclaim their imagination. Yes, very and much that, so. And that is and that is that is that is one thing that this that this movie does deliver on in space. Mm-hmm. It's about, it is about pure imagination. It is, I mean, in, in a weird way, you know, you could describe it as, you know, African-Americans creating a made-up African, you know, African-Americans, well, actually, it was African-Americans creating a made-up African country that includes an African superhero that was created by two white Jewish guys in the 1960s, <laughs> right? For, you know, for black, you know, as, but, but, but creating it as a cipher to like, to like both harness and unleash the black imagination. Um, think about all the, all the. Is that fantasy the, revenge? Yes, totally. I wouldn't say, I mean, not so much from a revenge standpoint, but just from a, reclaiming you know and getting back to the essence because i mean you know um my brother's a huge comic book fan right and you know we both read a lot of you know we grew, grew up reading a lot of science fiction and fantasy and all that kind of a thing and for this to become like a mainstream thing for people to like you said for black people to be re- reclaiming their imagination i mean it's like thinking beyond all possibilities, thinking beyond what's being presented and given to us even, you know, and I think that's, that's what, you know, once we, once people start getting that back, once people start to uh, expand their mind, expand their thought processes and how they think and just beyond what's going on, I think that, that is a freeing for a lot of people. Yeah, but this is very interesting because this brings up the curious nature of, one of the characters in the movie, Killmonger, because there was a reality of the Black Panther's reality and a reality of the world that you know Killmonger lived in. You know, and, and I think that was, I think that was one of the one of the interesting things about the film is um, is not just just Eric Killmonger's character, but you know, but the extent to which they had to go out of their way to find ways to make Killmonger not likable because to most to to many people in the audience you know killmonger was killmonger was killmonger was more in line with with what they would want to exactly. see exactly right yeah. exactly he's and, totally relatable exactly and when we talk about we talk about reclaiming the imagination reclaiming the imagination is important because you know, as we talk about being politically engaged and having political movements, right? Um, a political movement does not go further than the imagination of the politi- of the political movers. And and so I think that the the whole the whole project of reclaiming the imagination is is one of the most important projects we have right now, because you know, in the end, if you're gonna if if you're if you're gonna have a political movement. To get somewhere, you gotta you, you gotta you gotta have some sort of you gotta have some real imagination to figure out how that somewhere is really gonna be 
any different and any better from the where that we're already at. Right. You have to have a um, vision, a, you know, create a vision of a new reality of, of like you said, of one that's better than where, where we are and not just what's being presented and not being not trying to follow, you know, what's going on already. Like, you know, the whole thing, you know, like with segregation and integration was, oh, well, we want, you know, we want equal. We want equality. We want what you guys have. It's, you know, you have to have a vision of beyond that, of, you no know, let's create our own. Let's have, you know, just imagine a world where we were not colonized, where we have right, magical powers, where right. we're still in touch with our, you know, our indigenous spirituality, where we are connected to the earth and all that kind of a thing. But I wanted to talk about Killmonger because, you know, Killmonger to me represented... Killmonger versus T'Challa totally rep represented the uh, the connect and the disconnect between uh, continental Africans and Africans in the diaspora. Right, exactly. Because in certain ways, they're trying to reach out to us to, you know, reconnect. We're trying to reach out to them to reconnect as, you know, as black people are, you know, going through this, uh, this woke consciousness type of a thing. And... But there's still a disconnect because they look at us as not having culture, yet, you know, black American culture is the world's culture. Everyone wants to you go to you go to Africa, you go to Nigeria, South Africa, Kenya, any country, and they are they're wearing Tupac shirts. They're bumping hip hop. They're you know, they're like, What's up, nigga? You know, right. they're like yeah. into it. They're just they they are trying to be you know, they're trying to have the brashness and the boldness that black Americans have. And Killmonger represented the, like, the lost child. I mean, you know, he was left there as a child, but he also represents the fact that, you know, they did sell us into slavery, you know, they, for umbrellas and plates and, you know, trinkets. And mm -hmm. un uh, unapologetically so, like they have big mus they have museums at the, at, the, at the slave ports where they have these things that they right. sold the slaves for, and so he he you know he represents that, and his passion in wanting to, um, you know, share the 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 the, the good things of Wakanda right. with the world. Right. It represents like okay, you know, we need to get back to where we were. But his ignorance is another reason, is an, it represents another disconnect. Yeah, but the funny thing about that, and this is something that uh, Stanford and I talked about, and Stanford, I want you to elaborate on this. Um, Killmonger as a true revolutionary. And this is something, Stanford, I want you to elaborate on based on your analysis of the spook at the door. Could you talk about that a little bit? Well, yeah, I mean, my... My immediate response to Kovanger was that um, was he, he is essentially the spook who sat by the door. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know um, can, how familiar you are with the book, The Spook Who Sat by the Door. Yeah, can you give us a little? Yeah. The, the, the premise is that the CIA is, the CAA, um, is under pressure to diversify, so they induct a whole bunch of black candidates, and their intent is to wash all of them out. Mm -hmm. And most of them are the son. Most of the black candidates are the sons and daughters of different civil rights leaders and stuff like that. And and what happens is is whoever is the top candidate somehow gets washed out for some weird reason, right? Mm -hmm. 
and there's this one character, Freeman, and he's got nothing but disdain for these sons and daughters because he feels like they're soft. Freeman, no matter what happens, he always ends up being second best at everything, right? And what it is, and then they keep knocking off the top candidate, right? What happens is, is, is they get to the end of the, the end of the term for like for all the trials to, to get into the CIA, and and they realize they don't have enough time to wash Freeman out. So he makes it through by being by being purposely second best at everything, mm-hmm. and then they give him a job, basically acting as an as a um, as a personal secretary to a general, carrying around classified information, never complains, really quiet. And then one day he leaves and he becomes a, a, a he, he he leaves CIA and decides to become a social worker in Chicago. And then while he's a social worker, you know he just he starts making inroads with all these gang members. And then he 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 um, he, he disappears for long for, for periods of time. Um, and he also reconnects with his friends and like his best friend in Chicago is a police detective one of the only black police detectives on the force. And he meets up with his ex-girlfriend, who's now married to a black doctor in Chicago. And and you see, like, you actually see his internal dialogue continuing about how kind of disgusted he is with these successful black people because he feels like, like, they're, like they're allowing themselves to be tokens, right? And then all of a sudden the revolution starts in Chicago, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Chicago gets taken down. Um, and you realize that Freeman's behind it, and he's using the gangs to do it, right? And, um, and, and, and at the end of the book, the police detective finds, um, finds out that, that Freeman is the spook who sat by the door, the guy who, who's, who's running this sort of revolutionary movement, right? Mm-hmm. And um, they get into a confrontation, and Freeman kills his friend, and then some of the other gang members come in, you know, are called in, and Freeman's also been shot, so we don't know whether Freeman's going to live or not. And they, they're looking at him, they're like, dude, you killed your friend, I'm paraphrasing, they're like, hey, you killed your friend, you killed your best friend. And he looks at them and he says, if your mother doesn't agree with the revolution, if your sister doesn't agree with the revolution, if your brother doesn't agree with the revolution, if your best friend doesn't agree with the revolution, you need to make sure they end up like my best friend just did. That's what a revolution is. And so you make and, a, and you make an analysis and, between that character and and Killmonger. That is exactly that's exactly what Killmonger does. And the other thing that happens, the other important thing that happens is that as that happens, um, he sends out a call and we find out of gangs rising up and starting armed revolutions in Oakland, Detroit, Atlanta. And they're all the cities that he visited during that, that, that he went off to do visits to. So what he had been doing was he had been going out and turning Gang members, in, gang members into resistance cells in all the major cities around the country. Mm-hmm. And if you look at Killmonger, he does the exact same thing, right? He works his way up through um, through 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 white institutions that are skilled at taking at taking down 
countries, right, and predominantly black, brown, and yellow countries, right? He goes to Annapolis, MIT, and then he becomes a part of a, CIA, a special CIA group that, 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 um, that, you know, that takes down countries. And, and he has a specific plan. He's, he's going to make this revolution happen by taking over Wakanda and using the war dogs, and he's going to distribute the tools for the revolution to all these war dogs that are already there in the city, right? You know, I mean, it's it, it's such a it's to me it's such an interesting parallel. It is an interesting to see parallel. Him do that, right? And but it also highlights the brutality of a revolution. You know, I mean, people people always talk about wanting a revolution, um, but I think it's interesting that a lot of the a lot of the, a lot of people who talk about wanting a revolution. When it comes to the point of actually, when they have to step over the line to revolution, they almost always stop, right? You know, and it's because of it's because of that line that Freeman makes that in the end, a revolution is anybody on the other ideological line. If it's your mother, your sister, your brother, they're dead. Mm-hmm. It's very, and, and it's very much. It's very much Godfather that way with Michael. Corleone killing Fredo. And everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the I mean, decision to kill the decision to kill Fredo was a really revolutionary kind of act. Because he was focused. Right. He had one goal. Right. right. And Killmonger had one goal. Yeah, and, and so Killmonger, of course. He and and they and they and they established that. I don't I, you know, I, I, I wish they had done it a little bit differently. But anybody who gets who gets in the way of revolution, he takes them out. He and then that that speech that he does, where he takes off his shirt and talks about the scars represent every person he's killed along the way, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and he's and he's making a direct line between no, I killed these people because it was about this revolution. I killed these people because it was about this revolution, right? And that's that's a powerful thing, and I think that and I think that what the that the that what's interesting about that character is that once you put that character once you put that character together, you start to and you start to look at look at what the Wakandans are saying. All the Wakandans who stay in Wakanda are basically are, are pretty much all in favor of either being completely secret and nobody knowing where they are. Or taking over the world because everyone else is insignificant. The, uh, yet, amongst the war dogs, people who actually spend time outside of Wakanda, except for Zuri, mm-hmm. all of them have misgivings about Wakanda being a hermit country, right? You know. And then you go back to to the to the saying about like you know, you know, you know, because Wakanda is a is a it's, it's a utopia, it's a paradise. You know that paradise is defined as is defined as much by who's left out as who's in, right? Um, all of that stuff comes up. So when an African American looks at it, of course they're going to relate more to more more to Killmonger as like the person being left behind, right? Um, and and I think they did. And so. I think they did, especially at the end of the film. I think some people did. I think some people did. It goes back to the point that you were making about people getting to the point of revolution and, and really wanting to do it. 
Revolution is uncomfortable. You you are totally you know it's like taking your house and turning it upside down and shaking it out. And most people are not ready to do that. They're not ready to kill someone because that they love because of their ideology. They're not ready to cross that line. They're not that focused. A lot of, so a lot of people were were more enamored with the idea, especially like you at the beginning when we talked about, you know, the church people and the hip hop people coming to see the movie, right? All mm-hmm. coming together and, you know, in this big love fest and whatnot. I, I, you know, especially like those kinds of people, those church people, they're not ready to shake things up. They're, they're not ready to lose mm-hmm. everything that they have for an idea, for a possibility. You know. Right, but then you right. have, but then you have people, so they, and I hate to keep talking. And they, about, had, and they had Black Panther to root for. Right, but then and, you. I had, mean, and that—that's the beauty of the film. Yeah, but then you have counterfeit revolutionaries. You know, people who um, are mimicking, masquerading um, the revolution, and not willing to go further. Right, because there there are some people who like to embrace that idea to they like to put on those clothes right uh, because they haven't one they haven't seen it before and you know two there's a lot of conditioning that has to be you know undone before a person can get that far and it, there are very few people in this world that have that focus like michael corleone mm-hmm. michael corleone was focused yeah he had that focus he was like oh no yeah but you know yeah, I, I, that's true. Yeah, yeah but hold know, on talk, one sample. But there's about, a price. But there's, the, but there's a price to pay, even with being right. that focused. The, the, there's I, an I emotional think, weight I, with I that think focus. That the issue is like it isn't just like there are a lot of people who are willing to to burn their house down for a better world, right? Mm-hmm. But are they willing to kill their kids? Are they willing to kill mom? Are they willing to kill dad? And I think that that's, I think that's where the Corleone thing is, is a little more, is, is, a, is a more interesting parallel. Um, but I also think it's like, that's, that, I mean, that's the point where, you know, you have to really start thinking in terms, thinking in terms of, of, of like, of like the ugliness and the, and the gut-wrenchingness of it all. I mean, you know, you know, people have always, a lot of people will say that there's nothing more there's nothing more brutal uh, brutal brutal destructive and gut wrenching than a civil war right mm-hmm. you know brother fighting brother sister fighting sister right mm-hmm. um, but a revolution what's interesting about or what's frightening about a revolution is that you can have a civil war without having a revolution but you cannot have a revolution without having a civil war. No. Exactly. But see, and, that's the thing, you know... You and s- so, so, so you're talking about embarking on something where the first stage, is some, is the, the first, one of the early stages of a revolution is civil war. Because you got to clear out, you, you literally got to yeah, clear everything you out. You have to draw the line in the sand. Yeah, you have to draw the line in the sand. And, you know, and that's the thing, revolution is very all or nothing. So people who are, they might be willing to burn their house down. They might say they are, but if they're not willing to draw that line in the sand and and you over here and I'm over here, regardless of who you are, they're not really, they're not ready. Right. And, and most people are not ready. Most people don't want to give up their creature comforts. They can go march downtown and, inst- you know, put on their little Instagram stories and they can make their little cute signs and they can get on Twitter and they can talk, 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 talk. 
But when it really comes down to it, everyone is not ready for that. And, you know, that was the thing that was and so taking it back to Black Panther, taking it back to, back to Black Panther. Those people in, in Wakanda weren't ready for that. They weren't ready for the change that it would take to to share their blessings with the world, because one, they felt like, you know, this is the only way that we're going to be able to preserve this. They they wanted to stay with the old ways. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they they also felt, you know, like like most Africans think about African-Americans like they're, they're unworthy. They're not worthy of all what we have. They're they're ignorant. They're disrespectful. They don't know their culture. They don't respect their elders. You know all those types of things. And these are real arguments. And, and the, yeah, these are these are these are realities. Yeah, and these are Black Panther realities, and this is real world reality. Exactly. You know, but at the same time, I kind of read that part of Black Panther a little differently. Um, I mean, I think it was because you know it didn't take much for Killmonger. To convince, um, convince, convince the border tribe to um, to get behind him, to take to to do world take to to be a part of the revolution and right. to take over the world. But he right? was young. He, know, he was a young person. The 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 elders, the older people weren't weren't going for it. The ones who were in power were not going for it. And if you looked at that council, they were all of age. They were mature. And and the and plus plus the one that and it was went two with different him, and it was two different managing styles, exactly. And the one that went with Killmonger had been had uh, felt a sense of betrayal. That's why that's why it was easy for him to go. He was like, "Oh no, they did me wrong too. You're right. Let's do this." Right. You know, there there were other factors. Yeah, but this is this is this is where I have to um, disagree with you a little bit. Is that. You've got the border tribe, you've got the river tribe, you've got the um, the mining, mining, and I'm forgetting what the uh, mining and mountain, right? And mm-hmm. those are the five. Those are the five clans or five tribes. In that final battle, it was Black Panther and the Dora Milaje up against the border tribe, right, mm-hmm. to decide what was going to happen. And and actually, the mining tribe was supporting this whole was supporting Killmonger as well, because how because those were the people who were bringing all the stuff up from the vibranium mine and loading up the weapons and trying to get them and trying to get them out of the country to the different locations. But the um, mining tribe look look, look look at miners though look at the work that they're doing they're doing hard, backbreaking work. They're they're not like living lavish. They're 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 doing hard work. Of course they they're ready for change because anything is better than what they're doing right there. So yeah, they're gonna they're gonna fight. They're probably they've probably been ready. Actually, one of the things interesting is the vibranium mines are not being mined by people with pickaxes. They're being mined by by people running automated devices. Okay, right. Um, that but, but that, that's still, levels though. So, that that that's that's levels. But, if you compare the mining but, tribe to say, you know, um migrant workers in the US or like even in Venezuela the farmers, the people who are about revolution are generally poor people. They are not of the elite. 
The elite might have the ideas, but the people who are ready to put it down and pick up arms and go for it are the people who who work hard every day. Yeah, but one one of the conceits about one of the conceits about Wakanda is that um, is that is that even in that even in that division of labor that everybody that everybody is everybody is provided for um, that you and that and that you don't have that you don't have a true under, you don't have an underclass, right? Um, and so at a certain point, you have to accept that it is about, like, their ideas, and to some degree their ideas about the throne. But where, where I was going is that you had, you had the mining tribe, who was clearly working with Killmonger. You've got the border tribe, which is fighting for Killmonger. You've got the Dormelage, which is, which is attached to the throne, so they're not really they're, they're not their own tribe, and they're fighting and they're fighting with T'Challa um, over a split over a split Panther tribe. Um, we don't really know we don't at, 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 in that final battle we don't see the River Tribe, and um, and then the Mountain Tribe come in and side and side with T'Challa, right? I don't think you can compare, um, and I don't think and I don't think that I don't think that you're meant to compare Wakanda to um, any other class the struggle outside of Wakanda, because part of the whole part of the whole concept of Wakanda is we figured it out so that everybody's happy, everybody's doing stuff, and we've got the type of automation that nobody's, you know, that we're not that nobody's suffering from from bad working conditions, um, and people who get spinal injuries can be healed by a little bead, you know. So, but clearly it, there was discontent. Clearly. If if they were uh, if they were ready to go to war like that, I agree with that because clearly there had to be some kind of class struggle there because there seemed to be some kind of locked in syndrome with a lot of those characters where they were ready they were ready to enforce. But let's let me say this: what did, what did white what do you think white audiences got from this film? One of the things I think they take away from the film is is um, it's not necessarily an appreciation, but a forced acknowledgement of, of alternative beauty standards. Um, I've had white people tell me I, that. I mean, that, that it's, that's and, funny that you And also that a vision yeah. of a world in which, yeah. in which they have to take a back seat. I mean, yeah. that was one of, the, one of the weird things about C. Everett Ross's character is that, you know, it's like, it's like at first he feels like he's in control. And then every time he feels he's in control, they kind of beat him down. So finally, towards the end, he's like, "Okay, what do I do now? Okay, what do I do now?" <laughs> right. Which I thought was, which I thought was great. The thing that I thought was problematic about the character is that they still brought a CIA operative to in to to play a heroic role when we know the CIA has not played too many heroic roles in terms of other nations of color mm-hmm. ever. <laughs> what do you think, uh, Felicia? Um. You know, I don't really know. Like, I've, I've, that was the question that I had, you know, like, how do, you know, how are white people looking at this? I mean, I can see the, the point about the, you know, the beauty standards, um, especially when they were in South Korea and, um, you know, forgive me about the character's names, but I think it was Okoye. She was like, oh my God, this wig, I can't take this wig. And, um, uh, 
but you know when I went to see the movie there were a lot of white people in the theater there were more white people than you know anybody right. else mm -hmm. and I just kind of felt like they were into it because of the, they just kind of looked at it like as a, a, the typical character struggle good versus evil you know uh, oppressed versus you know revolutionary you know the they were looking at it from a um, you know from a, a comic book fan perspective but that's just me kind of being a hermit and not really being around a lot of people, so that's just, you know, what I... But there's another aspect to it, is that this is part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And the Marvel Cinematic Universe, like, every movie is a chapter in a bigger ongoing story, right? Right. So you have some people who are watching this because they're invested in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. They want to see everything leading up to Avengers 4, and we already know that Wakanda is going to play a huge role in Avengers in Avengers 4, right? So, mm -hmm. um, or Avengers 3 and 4, um, and and so so yeah, you've got people who so so people have already been sold, and then you have already been sold on the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You know, everyone thought Ant Man was going to be a crappy movie, and they ended up liking it. Everyone, well, well, I can say it was a crappy movie. Was gonna be it was shit, Stanford, and everybody yeah. liked it. I saw so, Ant Man. It was just pure shit. All right, <laughs> uh, but but listen here, listen. Uh, like, and so, I'd like to so, add like, something actually. That, yeah, but well, I want I mean, because a lot of hey, Stan, this is Chris talking. Um, since coming to Houston, I've met more comic book aficionados and people who do these kinds of discussions, etc. And both white and black folks and, and men and women and kind of in and I, I the only thing I would want to throw in here, I thought your observation regarding beauty standards. Well, that was if I'm hearing if I'm remembering what my friends who are white have told me about the film, that's something they noticed immediately. I was thinking of the essay um, that Hilton Niles writes about Eminem mm -hmm. and something we, we want to acknowledge is that not every white person's experience is exclusively white people. And I think there is a level of exasperation among a lot of folks like myself who don't want to go see, you know, Captain America or whatever and see the same garbage kind of like, you know, foisted on you when you know that your reality is very different. So I myself like get excited when Wonder Woman came out. I'm like, you know, yes. thank God this is out. You know, I'm not a woman. I'm not, you know, I'm a man. But it's so refreshing. And I think that's, that's part of what's going on too, is there's a lot of us of my generation, I'm in my late forties, but also millennials who are, you know, again, I'm, I'm going to say white again, who they're exasperated with Hollywood and they welcome this. And, and they're a part of it too. As you pointed out, Black Panther was created what by two white Jewish men back in the day who said, this is bullshit. We need a black character out here. Who, what's going on right now? What can we, you know, Superman, the same thing, created by two Jewish men, is maybe we could talk about revenge fantasy, you know, and, you know, quite, quite, exactly. we could go this, we could have the same discussion, right? you know, so let, I just throw that in as my two cents here, but that's a it's really great analysis. question, yeah, mm. yeah. What's, what's interesting to me is, is like, I, I, have a, I have a 12 year old daughter, and she watches all the superhero shows mm -hmm. with me, right, and um, like you, I, I, I love seeing Wonder Woman because I, I took my 12-year-old daughter and one of her friends to see it, and I, I've never seen two little girls more excited <laughs> because, they, because they actually got to see heroes that 
that that that had bodies like theirs, you know, or not not exactly like theirs, but you know what I mean. Like they they, they got to see female, you know, there's not many female superheroes, and usually they're 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 like sprinkled in amongst amongst a whole bunch of men, right? Season and and that was a big deal, and and then for 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 my daughter, seeing you know for her Black Panther and also also the TV show Black Lightning. I mean, one of the things one of the things she said she asked me she's like. Wow, Daddy, do you think we're gonna actually see like black people beat up white people? <laughs> and I was like, and I was thinking to myself, well, yeah. And she's like, that'd be nice, right? And it wasn't about like hating white people or anything like that. It was more just that that she's that that she's so sick, and she said it. She's sick of she's sick of this whole fantasy revenge just flies all over the conversation. But what he's what he's saying there that's really interesting. A twelve year old, you know, I guess that's what I was trying to. It's, it's even in that. Not with yeah. kids, it's even in those germ of ideas. Yeah, I mean, but we can say revenge, but but you know, we're talking about any mythological story has people beating the crap out of each other. I mean, I, I I'm not I'm not discounting what you're saying, mm-hmm. but I, I don't think it's right. so much the the a twelve year old girl or or myself wants revenge. It's we want a bigger story because that's the story we live. You know, that's mm-hmm. our and and we're smart enough now. People are savvy enough now to know when they're being manipulated by social media, but by, it's also et cetera, it's also know. about placement in a story. Like when you read a story, you know, you you relate to characters on in different ways, right? Yeah. You relate to characters in terms of your gender, sometimes in terms of your race, sometimes in terms of your ideology, sometimes in terms of some combination of that, right? Mm-hmm. And and for her, it's it's it, it has to do with with um, she's kind of like well you know I kind of get tired of like of like of, of being white hero beating up people of color and I was like oh you know and that's something that she's noticing at twelve right mm-hmm. um, and so for her it was nice to see something to to see to see di- to see different you know a a different person being the hero, um, to see a woman being being the, the, the lead character and being and being the hero, that was important for her. And I think that that's and and I think that I think that we all take different types of pleasure out of it. But especially when you're part of a group that that is underrepresented, that there's a certain pleasure of just being represented. Yeah. And then I think that's what that's part of the success of Black Panther as well, you know, because representation does matter. You know, when I when I was I'm in my late 40s, too. And when I was young, my parents would be like, you know, come, come, quit, come, come, come on, Felicia, come look, there's black people on TV. You know, it was like that, you know, it's like so rare. It was like a big event if, you know, Sammy Davis Jr. came on or, you know, when the Jeffersons came on or Good Times or whatnot. And, um, but our children are growing up very differently. I mean, first of all, they can choose what they look at. Mm. They have a lot of choices. Um, my children are teenagers and when I asked them what they thought about Black Panther, because, you know, everyone is all into the, you know, Black Panther has everyone buying dashikis and wearing their hair natural and, you know, being all Black Panther, you know, Black Power, everything. And so, you know, I asked my 17-year-old, I said, what did you think about it? She was like, mm, it's all right, you know, we're kind of like already, you know, already in that mindset of, you know, of of the reclamation of our 
our, you know, beauty standards, of our uh, African spirituality, of, you know, already just kind of like loving ourselves from a, a, a stance of, you know, we know what Hollywood is putting out there and we know that that's not real because we do our own thing. And a lot of people are beginning to understand, they're beginning to like wean themselves off of the, off of what's being fed, off of what's being offered. And the whole piece of, you know, going back to that piece about reclaiming the imagination, you know, once people start to get back into themselves and, and really open their minds to all possibilities, then a lot of this Hollywood stuff is just, is just going to kind of wash over them, whether it's Black Panther, whether it's A Wrinkle in Time, whether it is, you know, you know, all, you know how we get so excited about every black movie that comes out right? and all the awards and all the accl right. acclamations, you know, we're just kind of going to be like, all right, well, you know, yeah, it should be like that. It's going to be par for the course. Well, like Das Gift um, says in Notes from the Underground, perhaps we should close there. Number nine was recorded by Chris Becker and edited by Becker with David McGee. Original music by Chris Becker. This has been a production of Glass Tire, the oldest online-only art magazine in the country. For plenty more heated opinion about art in Texas, plus news and events, visit our website at glasstire.com. This episode of Number 9 was made possible in part through the support of the Mid-America Arts Alliance Engage Program and the City of Houston through Houston Arts Alliance. Go see some art.